All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 13, lucky number 13 of APS Radio. I'm here with Joe Terry. My name is Jim Bernica. Joe Terry, once again, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Once again. Yeah. So I had you back not too long ago on the, the 25 Live. And then I got to spend quality time with you in exotic Beaver Creek, Ohio, just okay. last month. Uh, and I'm getting ready to spend more quality time with you at the end of this month. And we'll get to that later on. But I'm still excited to see you virtually. It is a pleasure to be here. All right. So we'll just dive right in. Um, I, I guess just give me a quick big background of uh, who you are, where you grew up, where you live, all that kind of stuff. So um, I grew up in Fort Wright, Kentucky. I am back in my parents' home in my childhood bedroom as I'm waiting for my home to be built. Um, uh, grew up, went to Notre Dame Academy, University of Kentucky, became a physical therapist, met my husband hanging out on UC's campus up in Clifton. And uh, he's a Ludlow boy, a few years older than me. And um, got married young, 22, to the my best friend, and that's 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 the introduction. And and what was this young man's name? This young man's name was Alan Chip Terry. Very nice. So the original Chip and Joe, right? The original. Yes. We were the Chip you, and Joe before that became popular. You got to deal with that all the time, don't you? You know, it's funny because we actually did rehab. I mean, I'm working on my ninth or 10th home. Um, Chip and I got married and bought a starter home and rehabbed it and then just kept it up. We just didn't figure out how to make the money the way the rich Chip and Joe got to do it. Yeah. My, my wife's a fan of theirs. I don't know, but. Oh, they're oh. awesome. And, and I'll tell you, Chip, my Chip was extremely handy, handy. And um, I had a quirky sense of humor, not quite that quirky, but he was a funny guy. Nice. Now, was Chip already a firefighter when you guys first met? No, when we met, um, he was really struggling with what he wanted to do and decided to flunked out the NKU once um, and then went to medic school. He was volunteering for Ludlow Fire and went to medic school, he became a paramedic first. Um, started out running, you know, ambulance when ambulance, the EMS and the, you know, um, ALS were all separate. So um, went back to school to get his music degree. At the same time, he was hired on at Covington. So um, started working at Covington about six months before we got married. Nice. Okay. So you were, I mean, you knew the chip beforehand and then you knew the chip throughout his fire career and beyond. I did. We kind of raised each other. We grew up together. We were so young when we met and, uh, yeah, I knew him as a kid, basically. And speaking of kids, you had a bunch of kids, right? We have six, four of our own um, biological children. And then we adopted a sibling set from Haiti after the earthquake in 2010. Very cool. So busy household. 
Yeah, a little bit. Little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So you knew the chip beforehand and then the chip on the job. Was there, did you notice any differences? And if, and if you did, at what point did you start going, wow, this, my chip is uh, changing. He's evolving. Uh, something's different. Um, you know, he was 26 years on Covington, retired in 2012. And I would say, you know, the 26 years on the department, he was pretty much the same guy, you know, um, he was a natural protector and he actually always put the children and, and me first. Um, he was always last on his list when it came to wants and needs. Um, pretty selfless. But um, with that being said, the man had a temper and the man, um, I, I had his opinions, I guess I should say it that way, you know, right and wrong. Um, and so, I, you know, I lived with that. He was funny, he was just goofy and he just was, great to be around most of the time. With that being said too, by 2015, I started to see some things changing. You know, um, probably the withdrawal pulling away from me particularly, but there were incidents with our kids where, you know, he let them down. Um, he wasn't there for them when they wanted him to be there. And um, I, I saw a guy that got more negative, you know, he just, there were, there were things that really just started to bother him. Um, but that was three years after his retirement. So through his 26 year career, he was pretty much the guy I knew. I mean, we all change, we all mature, we grew up. Um, yeah, but, but by, by 2015, 2014, 15, 16, he was a guy that was not so invested in the family life. I want to go back a little bit and talk about his retirement speech. Mm. Because that stands out. Because we're talking 2012, you know, almost a decade and it really sticks out what he's saying and if i have the the technology if i can figure it out i'd love to actually put some of those clips in this right here you know and there's a lot of talk about our benefits and our pay and all those kind of things but what people don't see at three o'clock in the morning is when when a young lieutenant has to put two toddlers and their grandmother in a body bag I've been personally involved in 12 fire fatalities. Not to mention all the thousands and thousands and thousands of runs I've made over 27 years. You know, a 16-year-old boy hangs himself with an electrical cord. How do you close your eyes at night after you do that, you make that run? You know, I, I've, I've seen people shoot, shoot themselves in the head. I've seen children beaten and burned. This is we are the tip of the spear. We are the people that are out there every day. And I'm so proud 
of what we accomplished. So, you know, we do have good pay, we do have good benefits, but when we go out into a roach-infested apartment and we're dealing with someone that has some kind of communicable disease, we have to be protected. Not us, we have workers' comp, we have great health, you know, we have all the services that we need. Well, what happens when we go home? You know, we, we, we take those things home to our children and our, and our wives. You know, those, that is the reason we fight so hard for our benefits and our pay and our pension. You know, today, today, I can lay, my, lay down in bed and close my eyes and still see the faces of those toddlers. And the, or the four-year-old boy I put in a body bag after he drowned in a pool. I can see that. I carry that with me for the rest of my life. And that's not just me. When I say I, I speak of firefighters, the collective firefighter body of the Covenant Fire Department for the past 150 years. So I'm not standing up here. I don't want anybody's pity. The men and women of the fire department don't want anyone's pity. We just want you to understand what we do when you lay your heads on the pillow at night, when your smoke detector goes off, when your little baby's choking, when your husband has a heart attack, we provide the highest level of service anywhere in the country. Our, our delivery system is the best. But that video, I mean, he's talking about stuff. He's telling truths that are uncomfortable now to some people but certainly back then that that stuff just wasn't spoken the stigma was there the behavioral health the, the just the mental just him going on the calls and talk about this stuff is you could tell i mean right then in that speech that i mean there was there was some stuff that was was deep inside that resonated from those 26 years in Covington. it, it did and you know it wasn't impactful at the time. You know, here we are celebrating his retirement. All of the kids are there. Um, it was a happy day for all of us. And Chip was a very private guy. And, you know, to set the stage in 2012, um, Covington had underfunded their pension. And he was walking out the door on a department that he absolutely loved. And they were in a crisis per se. They were browning out apparatus. They were talking about layoffs. They were talking about closing a house. Um, and that really bothered him because he was such a stickler for doing it the right way and minimum standards. And um, all of those things were trying, were being ignored by people that were making financial decisions. And he was so worried that um, the staffing issues and the response times were going to cost a life somewhere. And so he used his retirement as a platform to let the city know this is what firemen do. And he made that very clear in that speech and it brought the emotion out of him. And when he started talking about the body bags with the children and the, the fire fatalities that he was exposed to, those were runs that were early in his career. And we all knew it. You know, the whole family knew those runs. We could probably tell you the stories because when it came out, um, 
those are the ones that he called his demons. And those are the ones that kept him awake at night. And those are the images he could not shake. Now I recognize that as flashbacks and a, a critical sign, you know, that indicates PTSD. But in 2012, no one said, hey, that guy's dealing with something, Joe. You guys need to get him some help because we, we were all unaware of it. Was he openly talking about some of these runs back then to you? You know, um, I, it would come out, like the ones, the, the, the school drowning and the toddlers that he put in bags, we, I knew about those when they happened. Yes, and we talked about them. He didn't share gory details but we spoke of them and my kids knew of them because they they had heard what it was like um we did a lot of camping down at red river gorge and spent a lot of time with our kids around the fire and um those were the stories that i guess when he was dealing with this stuff it would come out um so the older kids were familiar with that those stories the younger ones not so much Okay. So, so going back to, I guess, moving forward back to, you know, he's retired now. Um, he's still keeping busy. He's still instructing. He's still doing board up all this kind of stuff. But you, you mentioned that, you know, you're starting now to see um, him change where he was on his career. He was pretty steady, but now he's kind of, I don't know if you want to call bad habits or what, but there's signs and symptoms of, of something underlying going on. If you want to kind of pick up from there, please. Well, um, you know, we were both raised in Catholic families and we were both exposed to alcohol at all of our family events. Um, we met in a bar and um, we, we celebrated everything with alcohol. And um, I never... I never assumed or thought that he had a drinking problem. Um, but by 2014, 2015, he was drinking more. Um, and never impaired him from doing any job ever. Um, always got up the next day and did what he needed to do. Wasn't like he was drinking through the week, but when we'd have that downtime and that time on the weekends to just um, decompress alcohol was involved and I didn't know to the extent um, I didn't know how much he was drinking um, because I would go to bed and Chip would say something like you know I'm, I'm not tired I can't sleep I'm going to work in the office I don't want to disturb you I'll just sleep on the couch and so like when I teach and when I talk about that, that was, that was um, very hurtful. You know, that, that's what Chip was talking about bringing home. When he says in his video, you take these things home to your wives and your children, he's referring to bed bugs and communicable diseases, but you're bringing that PTSD home as well. And that was affecting his relationship with me because suddenly I'm feeling like I'm not attractive enough to him or that partnership and that friendship that we had felt like it was eroding. And um, 
now I'm getting angry myself and I'm feeling rejected basically and didn't handle it properly. Um, and so I became more distant and remote and involved in my own world. So um, it's one of the biggest regrets I have in my life, you know, had I dug deeper and done the things I teach now, maybe done some kind of marital counseling, we would have uncovered the truth of what was going on with him, but I didn't. And um, I made the statement to my oldest daughter that I would never leave him, but if he walked out the door, I wouldn't stop him. And that's something I have to live with. And I, I you know, if I look back on who I am and what I do um, in terms of my career as a physical therapist and helping people. And I look at occupational cancers, you know, like you've dealt with. And I know that if I had understood his suffering to be a mental health problem, I would have been a lot more compassionate. Just like if I had known he had an occupational cancer, I would have been the best damn nurse he could have ever wanted. But I, I didn't do that. We don't, uh, it seems like we don't treat mental illnesses, injuries, really like an injury um, compared to, you know, if I had cancer or I tore yet another ACL, it's just not the same. It's, it's, it's getting better, but I, I agree. It's, it's, we just don't look at it the same way. And we no, should. It's a weakness. You're broken. There's something wrong with you, mm. you know, and, and it's taboo. You know, we don't want to be surrounded by people we consider weak or it's like, we think we're going to catch it or something, you know, and, and it doesn't spread. It's not contagious. Um, but we still are afraid of it. And, um, we don't understand it and that and that's cost me you know cost me my children a lot so i know you at some point you end up getting a phone call from, from chip saying he's at university of cincinnati hospital mm-hmm. can you kind of jump in and take it from there Yeah, so um, it was 2017, and um, we had just had our first grandson. It was the 4th of July, so the 4th of July was on a Tuesday, and we were at my brother's house on Sunday, celebrating with the whole family, and, you know, I can remember it like yesterday. We were on a big swing, rocking and swinging my my grandson, and Chip had had too much to drink, and... um, he got kind of teary-eyed and he said, I have the best life. And he was holding our grandson. One of the few times he actually held him. And, um, you know, it was like that old guy, that guy that I knew. We were together right next to each other, enjoying the evening. And we went home that night and um, he said, I'm on call for board up tomorrow. I'm going to sleep on the couch. 
you know, whenever I'm on call, I get called in, so I don't want to disturb you. And by then, I had heard that story so many times. I was like, okay. And I was scheduled to work the next day at a PT clinic. I was the only PT scheduled. So um, because of the extended weekend, I was the only clinician in. Got up the next morning and he was already gone, but I got to work early and the phone rang and it was Chip. And he said, don't panic. Um, I was suicidal. And I had taken myself to the 15th Street train trestle, which was 12 blocks from our house. And he had intended to hang himself. But while he was on the trestle, he had this brief moment of clarity where he didn't want his ducks to find him because we lived in the city. So he scrambled down the hill, got back in his vehicle and he drove to UC, checked himself into the ER at the University of Cincinnati and um, got belligerent because they were taking too long and they ended up restraining him and putting him in a straitjacket, sending him over to UC Psych. And that's where he was calling me from. So he was on a 72 hour hold at that point. And he said, whatever you do, don't tell anybody. You can't get in to see me. I can't get out. I'll be calling you to let you know what's going on next. So I didn't, didn't tell anybody. Um, I told one of his coworkers who was a retired Cincinnati firefighter. And I told my oldest daughter, my youngest son, and that was it. Um, the next day I was made aware of his transfer to an inpatient facility and I went over and met them there and that's where I saw him for the first time and honestly Jim like he's 6'2 and was just this broken shell of a man his eyes were just I don't broken he was blank and he said, I am so sorry. And I was like, don't, you know? So we had our first psychiatric evaluation and um, the psychiatrist leads with, you have a guardian angel. Men your age are rarely capable of stopping themselves when they get this far. And I'm gonna take good care of you. And that's what I heard. And then Chip proceeds to say, uh, Doc, I'm a career firefighter and I've been reading a lot because Chip read all the time. And he said, I think I have PTSD. And that was a shock to me. Like PTSD, that's military. Where did that come from? You weren't in war. You know, I was really ignorant of the diagnosis. And the, and the uh, doc repeated himself and said, I'm, I'm going to take good care of you. So I put him on antidepressants, um, told him to quit drinking, and they scheduled him for an IOP. And um, within a day, he was discharged, came back home, and he did exactly what they said. Uh, he, I mean, he quit drinking cold turkey, just like that. And he took his medication as prescribed, and he attended his IOP. So he went from the west side of Cincinnati to work every morning, 5, 5.30, did his day's work, crossed traffic to the east side for his IOP, and um, I attended the family sessions with him, 
And I heard him repeat himself on several occasions that he was a career firefighter and he felt like he was dealing with PTSD. But at home, I mean, this went on for nine weeks. At home, I saw the old ship coming back. He laughed, he was engaged. He helped my son, you know, find an apartment. He was working. He was, we had several trips, the two of us, just by ourselves. So I saw that emotional connection again. I saw, you know, our intimacy was revived. I, I, I thought, we do have a guardian angel. And so he completed his 12 weeks, whatever it was. Um, we had our 31st wedding anniversary on the 6th. He finished his IOP on the 9th. And by the 15th, he bought a gun and walked the flood wall and shot himself. And um, I mean, I was completely caught off guard. I thought we, I thought we had our chip back. And what I found out was that his IOP was for substance use disorder. And then later, reviewed the medical records and there's not one mention of PTSD. There's not one assessment for trauma. And it was just completely medical mistake in my opinion. So it sounds like they treated, they were treating the alcohol, but they never got to the reason why he was really drinking that much. No. No. Not not one not one person. Missed the completely missed the dual diagnosis. Completely. Completely. And you know, if this had been eastern Kentucky in the gorge where we hung out so much, or um, you know, 1986 when he started, it would have been different. You know, but this was 2017. And by that time, the UC Center of Excellence was already open. The IFF Center, our UC Stress Center and the IFF Center of Excellence were both open, accepting first responders with PTSD. Um, and multiple clinicians in our area were available to treat this diagnosis, but we were never given the right direction. And, and that right there is essentially what you're doing now. So what I'm trying to do, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a perfect lead into just talk about the Chip Terry Fund and what your, you know, your whole focus is right now. Because uh, I, I know it's just, you, you, you went through all that stuff and you looking back in hindsight, you could see where things could have been different if you would have had the information, if you would have known. And so it's now your job to educate everyone on what you didn't know to make sure that they don't have the same issues. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, after I read and, and studied and got a glimpse of what PTSD was, I thought, wow, I can't keep this information to myself. You know, our community was really 
hurting. And it wasn't just my family. It was the Covington Fire Department. It, were, it, it, touched, it touched people that I didn't know all over the tri-state area. And um, so I decided to form the nonprofit with the kids and we were gonna have a PTSD awareness seminar. I didn't know enough about it at the time. So I brought people in from the East Coast and the West Coast who were experts. And we did a one day presentation in Covington on the anniversary of his death. And they shared the knowledge about PTSD and I was able to provide them with resources, both local and national, um, that I had found. So when that was over, I thought, well, I'm done, I'm finished. I gave back. Now I'm just gonna take my grief and try to figure out what to do with it. So within three months of um, the seminar, I had my first phone call from another spouse whose husband was suicidal. They had two young boys. And she said, I don't know what to do. I, I offered, you know, I think I would take him to the center of excellence, but he wouldn't go. So I said, well, will he go if I go with him? And he said, yes. So with the funds that we had left over from our seminar, I ended up meeting him at the airport, bought our plane tickets, arranged the pickup um, at the airport with the center of excellence. Um, and I flew and I met another six foot four, handsome, rugged firefighter with the same broken expression that Chip had. And two months after that, I had another call and then another call. And before I knew it, I was flying up to Maryland with first responders, making sure that they arrived safely. And, um, it grew, it just started to grow. And currently the, um, the nonprofit has helped over 26 individuals get into inpatient care. We help with financial support. We help with um, family support if they need it. Um, we've done it for law enforcement, we've done it for fire. Um, you know, if we've done it for, for medics, you know, if you can't make it to the IFF Center of Excellence, I'll find you a place to go. We're at about 70 that we've helped um, with local resources, wherever their community might be. We've worked in Florida, we've worked in Georgia, um, helped in Minnesota recently. Um, so you reach out, we'll find a way to help you get what you need. Perfect. Um, um, I, I did this to you last time we talked and I, uh, I thought it was important to do and just cause I know we'll have, and we'll have a new audience with this. Um, I thought, and I was wrong by the way, but I thought for the longest time when somebody committed suicide, that they were being selfish. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's thought that too, but having just like you learned so much about. I know that's not the case. I know that that individual a lot of times feels like uh, they are a burden and everybody will be better off without them. With that being said, you being the one that's left here 
and your family. Could you kind of talk about how that is, you know, it's not that way that, that you would rather them be here and, and work all this stuff out than because they, they weren't a burden and you're not better off without them. I know that's a crazy way of trying to ask. And I don't even know if I asked a question in there, but I know, you know, where I'm going with that. You know, I have heard that by so many people. Um, In fact, I I was told that by a a widow whose husband died of occupational cancer, firefighter out of Florida. And at a spouse event we had down there, her comment was, I have no compassion for the firefighters who commit suicide because my husband worked so hard to live and they gave up. And I'm telling you what, that cut me deeper than anything anyone's ever said to me. She has no idea how hard these individuals fight to stay alive. And they, Chip asked, he did what we're supposed to do. He asked for help and we let him down. And the suicide note that I share when I teach talks about the pain that he's living with and that the others like him are suffering from. And if he loved, he loved me and those six kids more than he loved life. Because again, he was concerned that he was going to mess this all up. So in some regard, some people are trying to be selfless. The bottom line is the trauma that some of these first responders have been exposed to over the course of their career has caused so much damage to their brain and has injured it so far that they cannot grasp there's any relief out there for them. And that's not true. That is the message we need to share. That this injury, this thing called PTSD does not need to be terminal. It can be managed. I don't believe it can be cured. You can never go back to where we were when we were in our 20s. But it is certainly manageable at all of the stages. And the first responders I talk to and their families, they deserve so much more than what Chip got and what I got. (sighs) 
you know. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I asked a question, but I, I know. I know, we that. <laughs> I know you knew what I was trying to get across, and yes. and thank you for that. And and I'm also sorry as well. I know you are. Uh, you know, I, I know you can't take things back, but I mean, you are truly out there trying to make a positive out of something that was really 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 terrible you know you i know i said earlier on you um came out to beaver creek and, and talked at the brothers up and brothers conference and and i actually and i i haven't gone over this with you yet but i had some of the comments i wanted to read to you <laughs> so just indulge me if you don't mind and this this is this is just a sampling but just to kind of show you that truly the difference you're making so um really appreciated joe terry sharing her pain with us having been on the scene of many suicides it was good to see it through the perspective of the surviving spouse uh, unbelievable her insight and willingness to share has changed my thoughts on all of this uh, no words amazing resilient woman and i'm moved by her absolutely heartbreaking yet undeniably honest Thank you for sharing your family story. There's so much to learn from it. Pure courage, inspiring to the highest level. Great presentation. I have heard her story several times and always take something, something away from it. Thank you. Uh, first time hearing her message, what an amazing woman to retell the story of her husband's loss. Wow, uh, and this is another comment, sorry. Wow, something special happened this conference during our talk incredible wow just wow my heart exploded for her i loved hearing chip's story from the source joe was phenomenal to say the least her presentation authentic authenticity was full of passion and, co and compassion uh, somebody says they wish they could give you an 11 <laughs> the, the nice spinal spinal tap reference uh, very brave for Joe to deliver her presentation. Every firefighter and first responder should hear her message. So, and they go, they go on and on, Joe, you were, you know, you and Pat Kenny, both, um, everybody loved and was so impactful. And I'm excited because you're going to be coming to my department here at the end of this month. The first outside speaker we've had in my career to, really talk about this because it's it's desperately needed here you know chip loved the fire service he loved the brotherhood and sisterhood and i have a passion for that too basically we grew up in it and you all deserve more than what we're giving you. you. You go to work, and I know it's a job. And I, I take, take away that Superman persona. You guys are just individuals who are doing something that the rest of us can't do. And you don't get paid well. You don't become extremely rich doing it. And it takes its toll on you physically, and we care for you physically. The message needs to be out there that we, we as a community, as a fire department, as a city, as a county, as a state, 
need to take care of your mental health as well because you all deserve to go home at the end of a day, at the end of a week, at the end of a career, fully intact, mentally and physically. Because when you aren't, we're splintering and breaking apart all of these other relationships, your spouse, your children. It, it's not fair to you and it's not fair to the families either. So I will carry this message wherever I'm asked to go. If it's received and we can make a change, then one day I can put my job away and retire and say, I did it for Chip. That's awesome. And, uh, and if you're looking for somebody, uh, hopefully you're warm because she likes to go someplace when it's warm right now, right? <laughs> love to go warm start it start a start snow start a snowing today so yeah oh uh, can you would you mind telling everybody where they can find more information on you and your and the not you but the chip terry fund um we're on facebook the chip terry fund um our website uh info at the chip terry fund org is email um you google the chip terry fund you'll find us we're out there um i answer the emails personally it, it looks like you're addressing mick which is my daughter but um it really comes right to me and um if you need help if you're looking for help if you're looking for resources i've learned how to track it down and I'd be happy to find it for you in whatever corner of the world you might be. Um, and if you need the financial support, that's what the fund is there for too. Awesome. Well, I guess it's time to get you out of here. I know you and I are both ready for bed, but I can't, I really, the words don't say enough about how much I appreciate you as just, you know, as a peer and a friend. Um, and I mean, it's when I, when I had this problem kind of thrown in my lap here, I mean, you, no pressure, but you were the solution. So um, I, and I encourage all other fire departments to, to look into this too, whether it's Joe or anybody else, you know, we train and we, you know, we do our ropes and we do our you know, everything, all of our other trainings are fire denying, you know, but we often, we just don't train about ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves, whether it's cancer or exercise, nutrition, and, and certainly not our, our mental health. Yeah. So, and you, you, you deserve it. And Jim, you know, you have become such a good friend of mine. I appreciate everything you're doing to help me share this message. Now it's it's a message that we need to share, and as long as somebody wants to hear it, I'm here to do it. And I I just thank you so much for helping get it out there. Oh, I'm glad. I'm all I had to do is buy a mic, and they gave me a, a show. It's crazy. You do but awesome. It works. I appreciate it. It works. So um, let's get out of here, Joe. Once right. again, Joe Terry. I'm Jim Bernica, and we'll see you and talk to you next month. Thank you.